The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey Rockheads, get your Xbox 360 off the floor and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan here to announce show number 157 with guest David Smith, recorded live Friday, December 16, 2005. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. And now, offering the Visual Basic 2005 Masterclass in New London, Connecticut, January 23rd through the 27th, online at www.franklins.net. And by Data Dynamics, makers of ActiveReports.net. Simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASP.NET Web applications. Online at www.datadynamics.com. Support is also provided by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who believes the world's problems can be solved by installing the Microsoft Loopback Adapter, Carl Franklin. Thank you. Thank you very much. And this is Carl Franklin. You're listening to another episode of .NET Rocks. And hard to believe, but we're seven shows past the Richard goes away point, and uh, and he's still here. What's up with that, Richard? Well, I'm just thinking, boy, that go away point was San Diego on the road trip, and that seems like a really long time ago. It really does. I mean, when we were on the road trip, we were doing a new show every night, and uh, you know, it takes a while to do seven shows uh, otherwise. But uh, how you doing? I'm good. I'm I'm finally in the Christmas mood. You know, the road trips are behind us. The franticness of the year is over. We get a little bit of time to spend with our families and then dive into 2006. Yeah. You got any uh, outrageous Christmas plans or are you going to stay home? Oh, you know me. The whole idea of a great Christmas for me is just being home. Enough travel during the year. Now's the time to relax. I heard that. Same here. Well, uh, this week I was preparing for my talk at the launch of Visual Studio 2005, the event in Boston. Right, right. We we talked about, of course, we did the launch event in San Francisco, the right. original launch event. The first but one. But this stuff's been going on the whole time. Yeah, they have a schedule. They're rolling out launch events all over the uh, all over the world, actually. And um, I just I heard that Forte did one in Turkey. Did you see that? Uh, yeah. In fact, I just talked to him today. He just got home from it. So, I mean, for whatever reason, Steve's uh, got fans in, in Istanbul, and they invited him to come out, and so he was involved in that, and, and to look at the pictures, they had quite a crowd. I mean, yeah. everywhere in the world, Studio 2005 is rolling out, and uh, these launch events are taking place. And we had 1,600 in Boston. 
Um, but a, a funny story of what happened there. You know, I had, uh, you know, I really want to do a good job when I go on stage and, and I spend a lot of time preparing and I, you know, I, I'm not happy until I've done my talk with my eyes closed three times without hesitating once. You know what I mean? Right. And so, so I got to that point. I, you know, worked on it and practiced it and made sure everything was working great. I was so confident, you know, uh, Tom Robbins gave me the go ahead to not use slides. He's, you know, he basically said, Carl, I know you don't like slides and, and people know you for that. And, uh, that's your you, style. No question about it. Yeah. If you can get the point across without slides, great. And I did. The whole thing went great. And it was the smart client talk, right? Now I had gotten a pre, uh, debugged script from Tim Huckabee. And I don't mean debugged, but just, sort of tightened up script. I guess that the original talk was like two and a half hours of content and it was just impossible to squeeze into an hour and 15 minutes. So, so Huckabee and his guys went through this whole thing and, and I got all their tips and tricks and, and stuff from them. And J-Rock sent me a few tips and man, I was just a fine tuned machine. Tim is like the smart client king. He is. So if you're getting it from him, it's got to be the best. <laughs> He's the leader of the smart client uh, jihad, as he says. That's yeah. it. Yeah. So anyway, uh, so I was feeling great, and, and I just had no problem sailing through this content. It was fun, exciting. So in the, at the end is a ClickOnce demo. Now, you know what ClickOnce is, right? This is the, the new way to distribute Windows applications, and it's literally one click to publish. You push the button, it publishes to the website, and one click to install. And it gets the, the user clicks on a link to install. You get, you know, they're presented with a dialog box. Are you sure you want to do this? You clear through the firewall and all that stuff, and yes. And it goes ahead and installs it and runs it, and then you run it from the start menu after that. And the default right. implementation is to look for updates before, you know, and everything worked great. And I, I, I did this demo, you know, 10 times before I went on stage. I go on stage and I said to the crowd, I said, and we were having a good time by this time. This is the end of the end of the day, end of the day, end right. of the session. And I said, how many of you <laughs> have ever seen uh, a click once demo with the beta? And, you know, and there's probably like a thousand people in the audience, right? And I see like 20 hands go up. And then I said, now, how many of you ever seen one that worked? And they all come down. <laughs> <laughs> they all oh, come the down. the gods of vengeance and irony were just waiting for so, you, weren't they? Well, you don't know. So wait. So, <laughs> so <laughs> you can see what's happening now, right? So oh, no, I, said, I, see I, I said, well, the reason for that, you know, is that Beta stuff is really tricky, and there's a whole bunch of pieces that have to fall into place. And, and you know, I, I made a point of not using virtual PCs, and, you know, I used the VPCs with the beta so that, you know, my machine would be untouched when the release version came out. So, you know, and I told the story of the laptop and all that and, and how it was nice and clean. Published it, and it said it published okay. And then, the, and it did publish okay with one click. And then just the a web browser is supposed to come up right at that point so that you can click the launch URL to run the program, and it didn't right. come up. <laughs> didn't uh -oh. didn't come up. And they said, uh, "Okay." And then <laughs> I looked at IIS, and it was stopped. And then I thought, "Well, why would that be?" Well, can you think of why IIS wouldn't be running? 
because mm. I'm not connected to a network. I have no IP address, and therefore right. it's not it's not running. I it's every not every run. other time I tested and ran this this demo, I was plugged into a network. I get up on stage, right. you know, there's no wireless or anything like that. I mean, there was, but you had to pay for it. And and so what happens is it just totally blew up. And now recovering from that on stage is practically impossible, as I just found out, because IIS gets all screwed up and short of restarting everything, and, and IIS reset didn't work. I had people shouting out from the audience saying, you know, uh, first I said, all right, I'll install the loopback adapter. I installed that. That didn't do it. And, you know, no matter what, IIS would just complain, you know, unrecoverable error, whatever. It was just some guy shout out from the audience, if you were using Linux, we'd be home by now. <laughs> I'm like, touche, man, touche. All right, you got me. So anyway, uh, what I what I plan to do is, um, is to make a, a Camtasia video of me finishing the demo and I'm going to post it online, and Tom Robbins will post it for the for the Boston crowd too. It Great was just, idea. I mean, we had fun with it, but man, I had never crashed and burned so bad in my. And it was just, it was the gods of revenge and irony. It was, you never say. You called them down to you. I did. I mean, you just yelled out to them. What did you think was going to happen? I summoned them to the room. That's what. Yes, happened. you did. <laughs> anyway. So that's what's going on with me. It was a great, it was a great talk, and otherwise, but um, anyway, we're here to talk uh, uh, about more network-related stuff with a, a friend of ours, David Smith, uh, who I first came across by googling for a .NET implementation of BitTorrent, which I was uh, really looking forward to using in a in a program, uh, a podcasting client program that I'm writing. And it turns out that David had the only thing in town. He was the only guy who was working on it. Uh, let me introduce him. We'll talk about what happened there. David Smith is a Microsoft student ambassador from Michigan State University, a highly motivated software designer, and enjoys solving creative problems. David's a C-sharp MVP who's very interested in distributed systems, and he'll be talking about BitTorrent and distributed communications algorithms in a few minutes. David is also, as I said, the author and creator of BT Sharp, a freely available implementation of the BitTorrent protocol. BT Sharp was written in C Sharp 2.0 and is available at shrinkster.com slash A38, Alpha 38. Welcome, David. Hello, Carl. How are you? I'm doing really well. So you you were are you still the only .NET implementation of BitTorrent that that is available. Um, actually, on uh, my website, I've had a lot of people posting some links to their own projects. It turns out that a lot of people have been working on it, kind of in the woodwork, and um, some people actually have just ported over the current uh, implementation of BitTorrent that exists in Python. Right. But it really doesn't take advantage of all of the great things that C Sharp has to offer. And it's not very fun to to program against. Uh, yeah. One of one of them that exists is uh, uh, BitTorrent.net, um, and and that's the most prominent one that some other developers have been playing with. But um, I've gotten a lot of positive feedback from BT Sharp, and uh, people want me to keep working on it. Well, let's talk about what it is first. Let's talk. Let's uh, tell everybody what BitTorrent is. Uh, they've seen it. They've heard of it. Probably in the context of some 
nefarious activities, but uh, let's just clear the air and tell everybody what it is. Uh, well, BitTorrent is a, an algorithm for distributing information, and this can be, you know, your photos to your family, this can be your photos to your friend, um, some music that you want to share with somebody else, um, some music that you made, or uh, even a show that you recorded uh, that you want to distribute to people online. Well, any, anything digital, basically. Yeah, absolutely. Anything. I mean, wasn't the beginning of all this distributing versions of Linux? Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, those Linux kernels are really, really big, and those images are really, really big, and they didn't want to have to pay for the server cost uh, to keep those downloads going. So they thought that they would kind of push that burden off to the client, and uh, they could have each person who's downloading the file help to share that same file. Now, David, there's been a lot of peer-to-peer programs out there, especially, you know, you heard of Kazaa, Napster did this, a similar thing, right? And uh, some of those, you know, LimeWire and some of those programs. There's a lot of programs out there that uh, people use to share. And, you know, let's face it. I mean, they're they're sharing uh, copyrighted material, you know, uh, movies, MP3s, but what's different about BitTorrent from the rest of these? I mean, BitTorrent has got a lot more notice in the in the community because it's so good. What makes it different than all these Nutella things and, and all these other peer-to-peer protocols? Um, I think it really has a lot to do with the use base. Um, so the people that are using Kazaa and LimeWire, I mean, you, you get some of those programs because you want to download music. And right. BitTorrent has always been a much more open uh, program from the start. It's had a much more open audience. And the majority of people that have been uh, using BitTorrent have been using it for uh, legi- legitimate causes and, uh, and good reasons. So BitTorrent has just got a, a better reputation. Okay, now, hold on now. Because <laughs> from where I sit, BitTorrent has a pretty bad reputation because it's being used exclusive, not exclusively, but extensively to to shuttle around like complete copies of DVDs and movies and all this stuff. And the, the BitTorrent traffic that you see that, by the way, makes up the, the number one use of bandwidth on the internet, surpassing email, isn't because they're passing around legitimate copies of Linux. Right. Yeah. A- absolutely. Absolutely. Um, the inventor of BitTorrent, uh, Bram Cohen, actually has uh, been publicizing the fact that in his website he will not allow pirated material to be right. searched for, and it it really takes a public voice to kind of stand up and say we don't want this technology to be uh, used in order to abuse copyrights and uh, right. And and it takes responsibility, and it takes responsible people. Right. And, and you know, and, and I'll be the first to stand up for it. I mean, I'm a content producer. Now, it is it is in my best interest to get my content distributed as widely as possible for, for free. But, you know, that's not the model that a lot of people have been using. Um, but y- y- you're right, though. You really have to – I think BitTorrent has that reputation because it's so good. It's used for – for downloading and passing around large files and it really is fast and and so what can you explain to our to our listeners why how you know how BitTorrent works and and why uh it's as good as it is 
Yeah, absolutely. It's a very simple algorithm, actually. So um, there exists a tracker, which could be a, an HTTP server, a web server somewhere on the Internet. And this web server's only job is to keep track of the IP addresses of the people who currently are downloading this file. Okay. Um, so then somebody who wants to publish a file goes ahead and makes a meta file and publishes it on some part of the internet. And this is the actual .torrent file, right? Yes, this is a .torrent file that has the file size, it has the file name, it has the directory structure of whatever you're downloading. Mm-hmm. Um, all the things that are needed to initialize the saving of this file to your uh, disk. Okay. And then you download the .torrent file, and then your BitTorrent client will parse that .torrent file. It will then save, uh, it will start the files and initialize the file sizes for everything. And then you go to your tracker. And when you first hit that tracker with your get request, it will give you a list of IP addresses of everybody that's sharing the file. Everybody that's also connected to the tracker, in other so words. You, when, when you actually connect to the tracker, it's just like hitting a web page. It's like going to Google and hitting that web page, and then you're done with it. And then you have all those IP addresses, and then your connection to the tracker ends. Yeah. And then you initialize TCP connections to everybody who is, well, not everybody, it's usually, you know, four to seven people um, mm-hmm. at a time. And you initialize those connections, and then you send a request to those people uh, trying to get different pieces of the file. And it's all distributed, and it's very um, random. And random is the best part of the algorithm. Right. So, so in other words, I might get, you know, if there's a thousand, let's say if there's a hundred pieces in this file and, and they're really like 512K chunks, right? Mm-hmm. So if let's say there's a hundred pieces, you know, and I get, I, there's five other people download, trying to download at the same time. I download, you know, uh, piece 149 and 74 and somebody else downloads five, you know, fifty six and eighty two. Then, if if we both the the tracker knows that we have those pieces, and so no. when we, or do the no. other okay. So okay, how does so th- there there's a common misconception about BitTorrent, and the common misconception is how much information the tracker keeps track of. Okay. So the the most important thing to remember about the tracker's um, role to play in this algorithm is that they only keep the IP address and that's it. Okay. So then you, you, you connect simultaneously to all the different peers on different, on different threads, right? And you say, who's, you know, what pieces do you got? Here's what I have. And do you do an exchange? Is that how it works? That's exactly it. So the first message you send to a peer when you connect to them is uh, first a hello message and then a peace message. And the peace message says, these are the pieces that I have. So okay. once you once you both receive those messages from each other, mm-hmm. if you're not interested in what that peer has to offer you, you can disconnect the connection as, as soon as you know that. Okay. But if you are interested, then you can make a request for the piece and start sending away. And when you get a new piece from another peer, do you notify all the other peers that you have that piece, or do they have to Absolutely. pull for you? Or That's did, exactly did- it. There's a message that gets sent out. It's called a peace message. And it's not something they have to pull for. You just send it. You're always, yep. you're, you stay connected on that, on that port, in other words. 
Yep. Hmm. Now, how does this whole process get started? I mean, the, the, it presumes the peers have pieces. There's got to be a starting point. Exactly. So the, the very first person that will ever start a torrent is called a seeder. And yeah. this seeder will start the torrent. He'll stay connected until at least one other person has the file. Okay. Or, or, or at least until the file has been distributed once. So if three people connect, as soon as I start seeding, then I have to distribute that file to at, at least across those three peers before I log off, before okay. I shut down my computer. And then those three peers can end up reconstructing the file between themselves. And, and then does it, is it worth it having more seeders than one, or is one sufficient? So it, it's a very common problem that having one person on a 56 connection uh, is not going to be able to start up a torrent very quickly. Um, the, the ramp up time is uh, it's very efficient, but it's still going to be at least a while for that. And the algorithm is smart enough to make sure that it's shipping each piece of the file once before it starts reshipping to other folks. So that, that actually depends on the client. Oh yeah, some clients aren't that bright. Right, right. So in, in my client, yes, it is that smart. In in Bram's client, I would expect it to be that smart. But you don't know? I don't know. Yeah. No. But either way, someone behind a slow connection like that still has to haul the whole file up at least once, even though yep. maybe to multiple sources. It's still got to get up there. Yeah, it, it, it's really too bad. But you can see but, what's happening here is that as more clients get connected and they start downloading all these pieces from these other clients, uh, obviously there's some efficiency stuff in there to break up the downloading of all these pieces over m all these different clients. Like it, it doesn't, if, if one client has all the pieces and there are other clients out there that also have those same pieces, isn't it going to download simultaneously from all the clients rather than just wait for one, for one to send everything? Um, a better way of looking at it is that I'm looking for pieces 1 to 100, and there are 100 peers out there. Yeah. If I wanted to download all those 100 pieces from one person, it would take a really long time. If I want to download one piece from each of the 100 peers out there, that will take a much shorter time. Yeah. Because, because everybody else's upload rate will be maybe one kilobyte a second, rather than just one person's upload rate being, you know, 200 kilobytes a second, because that will be capped. So the net effect is, if we could boil it down to this, the more people are downloading simultaneously, the faster everybody gets the file. Absolutely. Yeah. Which is total reverse of what we're used to. I mean, exactly. the normal model here is I put a new file out on my server, and everybody goes to it at once, and I drop to my knees. Yeah, we, we've known about that for a long time. Sure. But now we're going the other way. I put that file out there. And the more people get involved, the better it goes. Yeah. And Absolutely. It, you know, if that doesn't excite you, people, then you're not excitable. You know, <laughs> that's a fundamental shift in the way that bandwidth is used. Um, more is better. I, I mean, uh, this is a way to on demand. I mean, here's the key. If you can combine uh, the on demandness of a download with the power of this, you know, multiple pe person downloading, then you've got something. Like, for example, 
broadcasts that are going to happen at a certain time. You know what I mean? They can start out, uh, you know, as soon as that file is ready, everybody gets notified and all the clients get notified and then that are interested in it. And then they're all downloading at the same time. And it takes, you know, very little time for everybody to get it. So this is why that we think, and I'm sure you do too, David, that podcasting and BitTorrent go hand in hand. Because, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And and the, the, the software isn't, you know, quite there yet. It's still a little geeky and twiddly, but it's getting there. But because, you know, we've got thousands of subscribers to our to our podcast, when they all of a sudden see that there's a new file out there, it's probably all going to, they're all going to get notified within the same 20 minutes, half hour. And then they're all going to try to download it. Well, if they're downloading through BitTorrent, that's great because we want them all to download at the same time so we can increase the speed at which they all get it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Bram Cohen actually said on his website when he first published uh, BitTorrent, um, he he said, why did we make BitTorrent? And his reason was because he wanted to enable freedom of expression. And I couldn't say it better myself. Like, yeah. when I read that, I was like, yeah, that's exactly perfect. Because what BitTorrent does is allow four people to publish files um, to as many people as they'd like to. However many people want to download the file, they can download it without paying for server costs, without having to know anything about, you know, the Internet or how to set up a server. And it's just, it's, it's just perfect uh, for freedom. And, um, and freedom of information. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's freedom of that, information. Well, yeah. a, key, a key technological issue here is this recognition that in broadband, at least, your download speed and your upload speed are totally independent of each other. Right. So mm -hmm. while you're downloading this file, you are able to upload it without impacting your download. <laughs> Do yourself a favor and check out our friend's Data Dynamics website, datadynamics.com, makers of activereports.net. Simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for uh, Windows Forms and ASP.NET. Very nice stuff. You compile the, uh, the reports right into your application, ship them with your assemblies. Uh, has all the great features you come to expect in a reporting engine. And you can use uh, ActiveX controls right in the reports, too. So, great stuff. Uh, Data Dynamics has been an excellent sponsor of .NET Rocks uh, for a long time. They, uh, you know, they deserve a little bit of uh, your love and attention. So, go check them out at www.datadynamics.com. Now there, there, there is, you know, when you say without knowledge of how to set up things, I mean, today, 
you, in order to set up BitTorrent correctly, you have to not only be a, uh, you know, you have to be a full peer. In other words, you have to receive bits, but you also have to serve them up to other clients. And in order to do that, uh, you have to have an open port. And a lot of people are behind NAT routers. A lot of people are behind firewalls. The software firewalls have really taken care of a lot of this because they'll actually come up and alert you and say, hey, you know, uh, this program wants to you to unblock this port, and you can just with a click of a button do it, which I really think is great, by the way. But the NAT router issue is a totally different thing. That's a piece of hardware that typically you have to log into with a web browser you know, to a 192-168 number and, uh, and configure, and every, every single one of them is different. That's not something that most people will, will do, right? Right, right. So um, there is a solution to this, and it's called Universal Plug and Play. And most of the routers that are out there, whether it's Linksys or D-Link or, you know, any of the home routers support UPnP. And uh, BitTorrent, the official release, is coming out with a beta. It's available for download, and that has UPnP support. Uh, BT Sharp also has UPnP support. Um, I, I believe Azurias has UPnP support. Azurias is another BitTorrent client. Right. And um, UPnP will allow your computer to send messages to your router to open up a port, and then when you want to uh, shut off your BitTorrent client, it will send those same messages to... Uh, the router to close the port. So that that, that coupled with um, IPv6, which will be uh, set by default in Windows Vista, I think, uh, makes the connectivity issues a non-problem. We'll talk about Azurius and IPv6 in a sec, but you, you say it's a non-problem, but it is a problem. And I know I've experienced the problem. UPnP is great, but it is also a protocol and it also can be shut out at the firewall. Mm-hmm. And and I know personally, I, I had this issue uh, at, at the firewall in my office is controlled by my ISP, which I don't have access to, and I'm behind a NAT router, and it just wouldn't work because he's yep. got that port turned off. Yeah. So in that case, you're, you're really screwed. Yeah. 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 You notice that most of the folks that you're using BitTorrent right now are pretty technical folks and right. can probably fight their way through this. If we're going to get the masses using BitTorrent, they, they've, we've got to make this stuff easier, and they're more likely to be able to make that work. It's just a recognition that anybody who's got a professionally administered firewall, or more relevantly, something they can't control directly, are probably going to hit the wall on this. Yeah, They're not going to be able to get around it. Yeah, it's, it's much, I will say that it's much easier to use BitTorrent at home on your cable modem or DSL than it is, you know, in inside the corporate firewall, which is, you know, probably a good thing anyway, right? You know? Although I can certainly think of some business cases where BitTorrent makes a lot of sense for distributing data. Yes. For example, MSDN Online, you know, when new versions of Visual Studio and stuff come out, how cool would it be to be able to hook up, uh, you know, Azurius to a torrent and just say, here, download this. You know, we're talking a huge speed increase. I don't know how many other MSDN Universal subscribers there are out there, but when Visual Studio 2005 was available for download on MSDN, I was getting download rates of like, I don't know, like 20 kilobytes a second or something. 
yeah. from, from Microsoft servers. They got buried. Yeah, yeah. It was really too bad. And um, and so it would be a perfect uh, use case for a distributed um, transfer right. implementation. Yeah. So and, you go ahead. And I know what so, you're going to say. <laughs> so my, Microsoft is actually working on uh, a distributed algorithm for it. And it's called Avalanche. Yes, tell us about this. Avalanche is um, is basically BitTorrent. It was inspired by BitTorrent, and they've taken a lot of uh, a lot of leads from BitTorrent. And they're basically looking to improve on BitTorrent by integrating things like network coding into their algorithm. And ne- network coding is a type of byte coding algorithm for sending more information over the wire. So instead of hmm. just sending one piece over the wire to uh, a peer, you'd be sending a an XOR of piece one and piece two. And then suppose that other peer that received that XOR of piece one and two receives piece one from another peer, they can decipher piece two. So you, would you say it doubles the, uh, doubles the capacity? Um. It approaches the limits of our uh, information transfer rates. Wow. So, I mean, Microsoft Research is just doing a really good job with uh, with it, and I'm going to be integrating that into BC Sharp uh, shortly uh, over the break, I believe. And um, it's just really exciting stuff. They have a beta test of Avalanche for some people that wanted to uh, test it out. Mm-hmm. I'm downloading some MSDN content, but uh, and it worked well. It did work well. Awesome. And you you said you're incorporating it into PT uh, Sharp. Yeah, absolutely. I'd, I'd like my library to support you know the BitTorrent protocol and be backwards compatible. But for the people that will be using my library, I'd like to uh, have them be able to take advantage of the technology that is out there. Great. has not been integrated into BitTorrent. So, David, let's hear your story. What? Uh, how did you get started in uh, with BT Sharp? And I know you're still in school and stuff. I mean, how do you find the time to do this and study for your exams and all that stuff? I mean, what, tell us the story. It's, uh, it's a tough job, actually. I've, I've been actually using um, my project as kind of a stepping stone for a lot of my classes. I'm in a lot of uh, networking classes and stuff like that. So it fits in... Uh, with my classes pretty well, so I can get credit for some of the things that I'm doing. Nice. Um, really, it was just a pet project that I was interested in. I I wanted to learn C Sharp 2.0, and I was like, well, I want my own BitTorrent client as well. So, and I searched. I searched just like you did, Carl. I yep. searched for, for uh, BitTorrent in C Sharp, and there was nothing out there that I could build off of. So, I started it up myself, and. Um, and I started working on it for a while, and then I got a call one night from a guy who wanted me to to uh, work on it a little bit harder. And he, <laughs> ended up, he ended up calling me up, and we chatted for a while. And I was really inspired, so I started working on BitTorrent really hard that night. And then I got a knock on my door, and it was the pizza delivery guy. And I was like, well, I didn't order a pizza. But the pizza delivery guy was like, um, it's already paid for. And it ended up being like four pizzas and like six Mountain Dews or something like that. <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, holy cow, I don't know what this is all about, but I'll take it. So, yeah. so I go back to my computer 
and uh, and uh, I get an email from Carl, uh, who happened to be the guy that I was talking to about BitTorrent, saying, you know, how are your pizzas? And so <laughs> I took that as a cue and uh, stayed up all night programming high on pizza and Mountain Dew. High on Mountain Dew. Made a lot of uh, progress in BitTorrent. I so. think it was six two-liter bottles, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Yeah, it was. not six cans. Oh, man. No, no, no. Yeah, it was, it was six two That's liters. enough caffeine yeah. to kill somebody. Oh, yeah. This is what community's all about, folks. This is That's it. That's right. That's right. <laughs> it's all about pizza and Mountain Dew. <laughs> it kept me up a long time, though. Cool. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I was the reason I was interested in in it because at the time, and the project has sort of slipped since then. I was working on a uh, a podcasting client, you know that that used BitTorrent. Obviously, you know we we jumped on that all early because. You know, even with the bandwidth that we have, we have thousands of subscribers, you know, and when the when they all start downloading on Monday morning, the HTTP, you know, we're maxed out and the net result is that it gets really slow for the whole day and anybody who's trying to download anything, it's really slow. So it's not unlike the problem Microsoft's having on a smaller scale. Uh, so we decided to make BitTorrent feeds and we were pretty... Um, you know, insistent that we're only going to put out BitTorrent feeds at the beginning, and we're going to educate our listeners on on how to use it. So we made a video uh, of how to configure Azurius for podcasting, and that's at shrinkster.com slash A39, which will take you to pop.com slash clients.aspx. And... Uh, and basically it shows you how to configure Azurius, which is the uh, BitTorrent client of choice. Um, I don't know if you, if you think that there's a better one out there. I haven't seen one, but this seems to be, you know, the major the major player in the in the BitTorrent client uh, arena, it, you know, as far as an application. I know you're doing a component, but this is an application. It's a Java application, but, you know, it works very well. And so we we told people how to do that. And, you know, we have quite a few, quite a few that uh, started downloading with podcasts, our podcasts via via BitTorrent. And uh, then iTunes came around and they saw our feeds and they put them in our database, not knowing that they were feeds to torrent files. And uh, then we got all these, you know, emails from people who put them, who found us on iTunes in their library and then come to find out that it wasn't working for them. So uh, we decided eventually to make HTTP feeds for iTunes, but limited to one show. And uh, that's where we are today, although we're not in iTunes. But we have instructions for how to add our feeds to iTunes from on our page now. But that, anyway, that's our story. Um, so this back to your back to your story here about getting credit and stuff. How long have you been working on this project? Has it seems like it's it's been a, at least a year, a year and a half now? Yeah, I would say so. It's been a year and a half on and off, really, just because I've had other stuff to work on. But um, there have been contributions from other people sometimes, and there have been some bug reports too uh, that I try to handle quickly. Yeah, um, but. Yeah, I, I just actually finished up um, my second-to-last semester of college at uh, Michigan State, so I mm. 
we'll have some time to work on it in the upcoming uh, weeks, and hopefully we'll be able to see a great component that people can drop into their Visual Studio clients uh, just with a click and a drag. And by the way, uh, David, I don't know if you know this, but I'm, um, I'll be resuming work on Popcatcher and, uh, and getting that going with your library and all of the great features that it supports. And uh, as another thing that we've recently announced, and, and I think this is going to help us out, um, because we noticed that there's a lot more leechers than there are uh, full peers out there when I look at the list. And that means that there's a lot of people who don't have the their firewalls open. So they're just downloading. They're not sharing. They're not uploading. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm getting together a group of what I, we call POP ambassadors who have bandwidth and are willing to uh, put a box that we give them on their network that we can remote into and, you know, configure with podcast uh, with, with, a, with the RSS plugin to our main feed and so that anything they publish those th- those guys will will start sucking down and and hosting. That's great. That's a great great idea. Actually there's um there was some chat about superseding um which is exactly what you're talking about which is just when somebody starts up a torrent um they'll upload it to maybe four of their friends who really don't want the file. Right. But they just want to upload the file to get it off the ground until it has maybe 10 or 20 peers. Right, and then those superseders can come back off the wire. Yep, and uh, I'm I'm glad you guys uh, found a solution. That's great. Yeah, we hope to uh, we hope to be rolling that out next year. This is one of the issues here is that I mean I've got Azurius and I've got it configured correctly, but that was not a trivial task. You know, there's a lot of bits and pieces you have to set up and configure and, and get it to work, and. I don't like any of the clients that are out there. I'll use Azurius because it's the most full-featured thing out there, but I'd much rather, and I think the average person would much rather a, a much simpler client. Not so many gadgets. Not so many options. Just focus me on what's important. Here's my feed. Here's what I want. Go get it. Right. And that's that. So I'm still waiting for a great podcasting client. I haven't seen one yet. No, you will soon, my friend. <laughs> you will. And of course, you know, iTunes was really the first to take that, you know, podcasting mainstream, but they're not using BitTorrent. And uh, Microsoft, I guess, has got some tricks up their sleeve, although I don't really know what. <laughs> well, okay, I know what, but I can't say or I'd have to be killed. But uh, but yeah, they've got some things coming down the pike, too. They're, they're not sleeping on it. Let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah. Um, when When iTunes, when the new version of iTunes came out, uh, I was actually interning at Microsoft, and uh, one of the first things I did was email them and and say, uh, you know, the first person who embraces publishing will be the winner in this game. And it's not it's not about it's not about subscribing to content anymore. It's about publishing right. and making that available to people and allowing people to express themselves. So we need a one click for podcasting. Yeah, for for publishing your content, for publishing. getting it out there. Yep, yeah. yep, yep. And there there is a um, there's currently a browser out there. I saw it on Google News um, that was integrating publishing into uh, the web browser itself. And wow. I just think, I, and that's exactly the right direction that needs to be taken. And whether uh, Apple gets there first, or Microsoft, or some other startup company. Uh, you know they're really going to be the winners in this game, and whoever whoever does it will have my vote. 
I don't I don't care who it is. Yeah. Let's shift gears here for a minute and talk about uh Internet Protocol 6. Yeah, yeah, you did mention back that that IPv6 would really help the problems of making BitTorrent work and alongside UPnP and I can see how UPnP makes a difference, but I don't see how IPv6 really makes a difference. IPv6 is is really really amazing. Um it just it dissolves all of the connectivity issues that people have been having. Um, it's even got backwards. Uh, now, what do you mean by that connectivity oh, issues? Okay. Um, so IPv6 uses, I think, 128 bits um, in order to designate some unique uh, identity on the network. As the IP address, in other words. Right, as the IP address. So uh, 128 bits, It's it's been said that it's more than all the grains of sand in the world or right. all the grains of sand in the universe, something like that. Yeah, it's and, ridiculous. Uh, yeah, and it's it's great. It, it means that our uh, ISPs will be offering us uh, as many IP addresses as we want. Um, and, you know, if your ISP does not offer you as many IP addresses as you want, there will be somebody who will, um, and you'll go switch your service to them or right. something like that. So it, it's it's really only a matter of time uh, that we un- until we get to that point. And then for all the people that are currently on IPv4 machines, um, behind NATs or something like that. Microsoft has a uh, technology called Torado, and um, or Torito, one of those. You can go Google it, and uh, that allows you to tunnel your IPv4 address uh, through an IPv6 address. Or huh. um, and and what that allows you to do is connect to anybody in the world. And Microsoft has one little server out there in in the uh, in the internet, which will act as uh, basically a, a connectivity point to get that connection bootstrapped. So, um, I, I mean, the, the connectivity is really something of the past. Let, let me I'm concerned. let me see if I can understand this. So, the connectivity, if you have, if you're on an IPv6 network and you have, you know, a, a standard IP4 uh, connection you will be able to go to IPv6 sites. You'll be able to communicate with, you'll make a connection to those yes. sites so, so, yep. and vice versa. Yep. So they're inter, interconnectable. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So wow. anybody, anybody who's taken networking or something like that um, might understand that uh, you can tunnel. You can tunnel sure. any any sort of packet through some other sort of connection. And tunneling just means wrapping your packet in my packet. Yep. And sending exactly. my packet. That's exactly wrapping something oh. unfamiliar in something familiar. Perfect. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's pretty amazing. I mean, I knew about IPv6, but I always thought, man, how are they going to just like tell everybody, okay, now we're using IPv6 and sink or swim, go for it. And yeah. so this is obviously good news that uh, the, that they're going to be One of the really really cool things I thought was that um, all the IPv4 addresses, in order to convert them to IPv6 addresses, you basically put a bunch of zeros in front of them. Huh. <laughs> That's it. It is, it is over. That makes sense, right? Yep. Yep. It's very easy, and I was very uh, I was very surprised by that. I I didn't think that it could possibly be how you actually do the conversion, but it is. Makes a lot of sense. Yep. But you're still saying that the point is everybody is going to have a routable IP to everything once we move to IPv6. 
Yeah, absolutely. Now, and, and that's going to make this stuff work better. Mm-hmm. Well, like, you know, all of this stuff, the non-routable IP groups and NAT and so forth were invented originally to conserve IP addresses because we were running out. Right. Uh, and and IPv6 just makes that obsolete because now we have lots of IP addresses so that, that issue goes away. Instead, what you've got to deal with now is having your machines on the live internet constantly exposed. Right. Which is a huge issue. I mean, the problem is right now, there's so many port sweepers and hackers out there that if you put a machine freshly installed on the internet, it will be hacked before you can patch it. Yep. All right. That's one of the things that NAT routers do for us is they give us enough protection while we're trying to clean and protect the machine. Yeah. And I think that's why you see, if you go look in the news, the main thing holding IPv6 back these days is two things. The first is security, that it is a major issue, that there is no easy solutions to this, and that you are going to, if you're going to switch, have to change your security model. And the second reason is apathy, that <laughs> we've got a working model right now. We have enough IP addresses. Yeah. The number of IP addresses being allocated out has not gone up because we're using them more and more efficiently, not wasting them. And so people don't want to bother. Why? What we got works. We're not out. Right. Hmm. So the uh, the the routers that are out nowadays are are all IP sixable. Would you say? Like, how long has it been since uh, IP six has been available in in the router space? Um, I'd say maybe a year or so. Okay. I mean, widely available. I mean, just recollecting from memory. Yeah. All right. Cool. So, David, what's uh, what is uh. What's on your list of things to do besides, you know, finish up BT Sharp as if it's ever going to be done, right? Yeah. Um, BT Sharp is just, yeah, well, it will be done someday, I hope. Uh, well, I mean, it's never done. You never, you say you got a version, but it's never done, right? There's really got to be a point at which you say, okay, this is complete and we can move on to something else. Yeah, the next version. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Software's not finished, it's abandoned. <laughs> like children. Something that's on my list of things to do is uh, something called K-Publish. Um, just have a uh, a smart client or something like that that would be your gateway to publishing your emotions or your feelings or you know pictures, music, everything that you could possibly want to publish uh, to the internet. You know, just with a click and a drag or a right click, and you just say publish, and it will be there. I know there was a uh, there was a video about the Google Grid a long time ago, and um, mm-hmm. it's called Epic, I think, uh, something like that. And it talked about just publish your information to the Google Grid, and you know we're getting to that point where we should be able to publish something to a list of people that we want to publish it to. You know, I my computer should know my mom and my dad's email address, and I should be able to right click and publish something. And then select them from the list and mm-hmm. have them get that piece of content. Yeah. You know, that should be a no brainer. And um it's just not that way yet. And have, it should be. Have you seen Folder Share? No. Oh, you, you gotta check this out, man. Um Folder Share is a way that you can get one or more, you know, people in a group sharing a folder. And you put a folder and I had this idea I swear to God I had this idea. And Hanselman showed this to me like a couple of weeks ago, and I could have killed him. I'm like, I had this idea. So and it's part for the course for me, man. I see so many of my ideas implemented, and I was like, if I only had time and effort. Well, anyway, uh, so if you, you basically set up this, you, you make a folder, 
and then you basically sync it up with somebody else on the internet. And uh, whatever you put in there, they get. And you can get a whole bunch of people sharing the folder. And it's basically you drop something in there, and it just shows up in everybody else's folder too. So this is a pretty cool idea. My my uh, version of this was going to be called Wormhole. But yeah, foldershare.com, I think, is the company. And, and I, I think Microsoft bought them recently, didn't they, Richard? Yeah, yeah. Microsoft has bought them. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's good. Isn't that sweet? That is good. Very sweet. <laughs> <laughs> now, now they get to plug Avalanche into that. and Oh, it's insane. It. Yeah. They've got it. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. So it's a, it's a crazy time we live in, but it sure is awesome. Well, David, uh, you got any, uh, any tools in your tool set or little pieces of software, utilities that that you use all the time um, you'd like to tell I, us about? Something I really use all the time, the .NET Reflector. Yeah, I Reflector. I use that all the time. And nobody knows about it when I talk to them. Really? I, yeah, well, here at Michigan State, we all oh. we all learn C++, not C Sharp or Java. So. Oh. But yeah. Um, yeah, Reflector rocks. It's, it's a tool I can't live without when I'm developing. Yeah, honestly, it's great other than that anybody who hasn't tried visual studio 2005 jump on the train because it's beautiful yeah and uh i don't know that's about it got any last minute words of wisdom you want to impart on uh on the listeners say Um, anything at all say anything at all anything at all michigan state is awesome um (laughs) honestly developers out there there's, there are way too many cool things to quit developing and just keep going. You can write software so quickly nowadays. If you can think it, write it. That's it. Yeah. And uh, the website is btsharp.com if you want to check out David's uh, implementation of BitTorrent. Uh, David, what can I say? It's been great talking to you and, and thanks for educating us on BitTorrent and, and all these crazy protocols and IP6 and all that other stuff. Thanks a lot. My pleasure. All right. We'll talk to you some other time. Sounds good. Bye. Bye. .NET Rocks can be found online at www.dotnetrocks.com and at msdn.microsoft.com slash dotnetrocks. .NET Rocks is edited each week by Jeff Maciolik, that's me, and Carl Franklin, who is also executive producer. All music heard on .NET Rocks, including Toy Boy, the theme song, is created and produced by Carl Franklin and Franklin Brothers Band. Carl never sleeps. .NET Rocks is produced for Franklin's Net by Plop Productions, providing professional audio and podcasting services online at www.pwop.com. Plop, it's time to get your impact back. Yes, I'm a, a time